1: News Radio 840 WHAS welcomes you to Jim Strader Outdoors, the area's leading authority on hunting and fishing. Jim Strader Outdoors is brought to you by Mossy Oak Properties Heart Realty. For the outdoor home of your dreams, call Paul Thomas at 270-524-1980. Linden Animal Clinic, your pet's best friend. Sportsman's Taxidermy. Visit them at sportsmanstaxidermy.com. A.N. Roth Heating and Cooling, a family-owned business with over 100 years experience in the Louisville area. Wildlife Habitat Solution, Check Jim and his team on Facebook at Wildlife Habitat Solutions and SMI Marine. Getting your boat back on the water in no time. To join in on the conversation, call us at 571-8484 inside Louisville and 1-800-444-8484 outside the Metro. Now, sit back and relax and enjoy the next two hours of Jim Strader Outdoors on News Radio 840 WHAS.
2: Came from the West Virginia coal mines and the Rocky Mountains and the Western time. I've got a shotgun, a rifle, and a four-wheel drive, and a country boy can survive. And we can skin a buck and run a trot line, and a country boy can survive. Country folks can Good evening, everybody. Jim Strader here with my co host Scott Cronin, and uh, got a lot to talk about tonight, folks. We obviously have made the transition into summer, and that brings a lot of changes. It's uh, got a lot of aspects in regard to wildlife and fishing, and we're going to talk a bit about both tonight. We're going to talk a good bit on the fishing side of things about how to help the kids catch fish now that they're in their portion of the year when they got time because they're out of school. And there's a lot of things that they can do to catch fish. God now share our thoughts about that. We're going to talk about the transition into summer bass fishing. We're going to talk about catfish, crappie. We're going to take you really round robin on, on all the species that uh, provide really good fishing opportunity in, in the summer period. But first, we want to talk to you about some things that are going on with the wildlife. This is probably one of the most unusual periods for fawn drop and or nesting turkeys that I feel like I've ever encountered. And Scott, uh, I guess let's start with some of your observations on your trail cameras because they're very very unusual to say the least and then i'll i'll pile in with what uh, some of my farmer friends are telling me
0: yeah well we'll we'll start off on the turkeys first and just from being out in the field and and utilizing cell cameras and and trail cameras in general the the poults that are with these hens seem to be in good numbers on the hens that have actually had a successful clutch and been able to get through that that process of, of getting their their brew up and, and going uh seeing and hearing a lot of reports of hens with up to 16 poults you know most most hens are are having six poults or more right now uh, the problem with that is there's more hen turkeys that do not have poults than do have poults which is going to create some concern when it comes just to carrying capacity and population density especially in our areas that we've been struggling a little bit with our with our turkey numbers and and as far as white-tailed deer go as of last night according to my data that i have from trail camera observation and and being in the field we still have several does not the majority but several does that are still fat and happy, and they're fat and happy with a with a fawn inside of them, or maybe two, and uh, it just goes to, to prove that the rut doesn't always happen in November, and it doesn't always happen in just a 10-day or 14-day window, but we still have several deer out there that, that are packing a fawn on the internal side instead of the external side, and, and lots of new fawns are still being found that have recently been born within 24 to 48 hours by all my friends in the agriculture community.
2: Well, this mirrors uh, what my farmer friends are telling me as well. Several of them have unfortunately uh, run over farms. And as we all know, the weather conditions been good for for taking off hay crop. But unfortunately, turkeys and deer have been suffering as a result of that we talked a little bit about that last week but that trend is continuing and frankly folks we were prepared to talk a bit tonight about uh some judicious mowing uh, of uh, food plots and or prep for uh annual uh, uh food plot crops later in the in the summer because it's time to start prepping but right now we're moving off of that we'll talk to you more about that next week and the reason is i'm getting way too many reports of a little bitty fawns and turkey still on the nest and a little bitty poults uh out in these these uh, food plot areas and and clover fields and whatnot so if you can hold off my best advice, even though it runs counter to what we would normally see this time of year, is to just lay back. You, there's still time to get those things done. And in the case of clover in particular, if you can let it go, it's all the clover has come to head now. And by holding off, you'll actually help to reseed that plot because the heads will be mature by the time you mow. So I did want to mention that. Scott, it's just uh, very weird. (laughs) I don't know a better way to describe it, actually. This is as late for this many reports that I can ever remember. I I, I don't know exactly why we did notice tons of late rut activity, so that's somewhat explainable, but the degree to which... I'm observing little bitty fawns, and farmers are reporting running over fawns in their hay fields. It's uh, it's really odd. And the turkeys, there's gobblers still looking for hens now. I'm hearing gobblers, you know, moving and gobbling with frequency. And uh, to your point, there's so many hens out there that obviously do not have poults for one reason or another. Either the nest was destroyed or, or who knows what. You know, there's just a lot of factors that can enter into that, but predation certainly is a big one, which if, yeah. if folks, if, if you roll all that together about the turkeys, and Scott, I think you'll agree, don't forget, even though some of the hens have a lot of poults that are evident right now, there's a huge mortality rate going forward. What do I mean by that? The folks sort of point that are seeing a dozen or more poults with a hen, I'll promise you, she's not going to end up with that many. Uh, there's everything from bobcats, hawks, owls, uh, foxes, coyotes, everything loves to prey on those little poults because, as we all know, they can't fly, uh, Right after they're hatched, it takes several weeks before they're able to even get up to a low-hanging limb to roost. So they're going to run a pretty fierce gauntlet here in the next uh, little bit, and we'll just have to see see what that portends. Scott, on average, what size are the poults that uh, you're getting reports? For me, most of them are the bigger ones are only about quail-sized. Some some are a little bigger, about the size of a s- small chicken, a banty. For example, but uh, what are you hearing?
0: Yeah, mo- most uh most poats right now are are running about four and a half to six and a half inches in height. If if you basically would look at your hand to to reference a a good sized bluegill or red ear uh, poats are just a just a bit shy or smaller than, than a full grown man's hand right now.
2: Yes, sir. That's exactly what I'm hearing. Uh, Something else that's uh, fairly unique, and it's on the good side of the ledger, of course, and that is antler development. Uh, Lots of trail camera pictures of bucks way outside their ears already. Uh, Good growth. Uh, Scott, I know you've got a lot of trail cam information there as well, and and the reports I'm getting are pointing at it excellent and I do mean excellent, antler growth period. And if these rains continue, they're a bit spotty here and there, but overall we've been getting some healing rain about the time we needed it to keep the vegetation fairly lush. There are certain areas that are still under uh, semi-drought c- conditions, but there's plenty of food out there. I guess what I'm trying to say is the plate set for continued real good antler development. Scott, what are you seeing?
0: Yeah, what I'm seeing is uh, I'm seeing a growing trend of people that uh, get out and, and put their trail cameras up after the 4th of July weekend because that's normally when they feel like the bucks have got enough antler development to really see if a person is looking for you know measurable inches on a rack or, or looking for a trophy deer. They feel like that's the best time of the year to start gaining intel, but... From my gatherings and and what I'm seeing your bigger deer and I'm going to say deer that are above the 125 inch class of of antler growth at fully developed you know growth I'm seeing that deer are slightly ahead of schedule when it comes to our our deer that are above that three and a half I woke up at five. Eight. Each time. Cause I'm a backwoods boy, grew up on a dirt road.
1: I'm a backwoods boy, no better place to go. Waiting on a deer, wishing on a star. I'll always be true to my heart. Cause I'm a.
0: Backwoods
2: This is Jim Strayer. Welcome back to the broadcast. If you were with us initially, you're very well aware we've had a weather break. And obviously, your safety is our utmost concern. That's one of the reasons I love working for WHAS radios, because we are a full-service station and your safety is paramount. If you're just joining us uh. We're going to repeat some of the things that we said in the opening portion of the broadcast because we're a little short on time here. Scott, let's go over some of the things that we talked about in the opening of the program. Obviously, this is an unusual situation because of the weather, but uh, I'd like to start off by talking about the deer situation again and, and the turkeys. Uh, Let's start off, I guess, with your observations about the deer antler growth and, and folks, what we're looking at on this antler growth this year. It's a continuing trend that we've seen over the last several years when we've had enough lush vegetation early in the spring, transitioning into early summer, midsummer where the deer really got a chance to set a good pedicle and the subsequent growth has produced just lots and lots of magnificent antler deer the last several years and this year certainly seems to be shaping up to do the same as a matter of fact it appears where we may even be a little ahead Scott uh, I'll let you chime in here about what your trail cameras and and your folks are seeing because it's it's really interesting.
0: Yeah, we're just seeing a really good onset of antler development, and in in the age class of the deer, the the older deer have kind of pushed a little bit further. It seems like in the schedule, and and they've got you know quite a bit of antler development so far. I mean, it it's pretty obvious that your deer that are above that three and a half year. Age class have have gotten the majority of their main frame and antlers uh developed as far as points Now there's a lot that can happen there with non-typical points that can develop and and what we were talking about before the weather was how well both the young and the older deer are are coming on with their mass and especially uh seems to be really good uh brow time length. Coming in with with good solid bases and and that mass carrying through the the rest of the antlers um, as they're developing, so it, it looks like it's going to be just a, a a bang up year as far as our our early velvet hunting uh, that sometimes uh, takes place in September before those deer shed, and and of course just going throughout the fall of our deer season. It, it looks like we're on track for for some some really good deer.
2: Well, I want to return again to a theme that we've been promoting the last several weeks, but I think we need to reiterate it because it ties directly in to this antler development. That's the need to make sure folks are replenishing their mineral sites right now. Uh, this not nope. only is important for the bucks you know, to continue to have the optimal nutrition that they need, but it's also really important for the does that are nursing fawns, because as most people know that that milk production really draws a lot of the minerals, uh, out of, out of the dose system. And for those that have two fawns or in some cases, three, this is a really big uh, factor in the nutritional value that the fawns are getting out of the milk. And it also, uh, affects the overall health of the doe, and I know, Scott, you're a real student of antler growth and, and what it does uh, throughout its cycle. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and uh, you know, how that nutritional need directly transfers to to the fact that they're able to grow antler instead of trying to catch up with with their bodies
0: after going through winter? Yeah, no, no doubt. When when we look at deer antler development, other than cancer, uh, we know that velvet is the fastest growing tissue uh, known to man. So when we look at just our our whitetails that are in the you know Kentucky, Indiana, and Tennessee the surrounding area of our viewers and listeners, you've got to realize that here right now. Everything that they're doing as far as every bite that they take um, is part of that nutritional aspect of antler development. And sometimes what people tend to overlook is a lot of us will want to talk about managing deer and, and giving a deer time to grow and develop. But there's really three main things that are going to make those antlers develop and, and be what they are. And that's that's going to be nutrition and it's going to be the, the deer's age and then their genetics. And, and right now, it's just a really important time to make sure that those deer uh, on the buck side and the does are getting something in the form of, of calcium. And a lot of our mineral supplements that we make or, or buy commercially will have a product that comes out of the agricultural market uh, with livestock feeding called dicalcium phosphate. And when we take and grind up antlers and we basically do the, the analysts on it and, and we analyze what that 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 structure is made up of, we realize how important the the calcium and uh phosphate intake is on, on the deer. And so when we do that along with having other trace minerals, uh which a lot of times people will refer to as salt, um a true trace mineral will just help with the overall nutrition of both the male and the female. And and what that does is it just allows for the body to be in a healthier state and to get those micro and, and micronutrients that uh, are needed to, to do not only bodily functions, but, but develop those antlers that we all like to chase.
2: Well, so many people think of, of these minerals is, is primarily salt, and a lot of people put out nothing but salt. And while that's good, better than nothing is the way I will refer to it. Uh, salt does help them digest and break down the nutritional aspects of the plants they eat, but it does not augment or supplement their need for mineral and. People all the time have asked me very frequently, why does Kentucky and or Indiana uh, in general have good antler growth compared to s- some other states? Let's, let's throw Tennessee out there, for example. We have, in a generality, much better antler growth. And the, and the answer to that is, on, a, on an overall scale, that we're fortunate enough to have limestone streams And limestone streams do provide a certain amount of mineral uh, that's available, you know, year round to these critters. And if you look at certain areas just within our region, if you look at central Kentucky, for example, uh, over there in the racehorse area, why does that grow good racehorses? It's directly tied. Their bone growth and their strength and what have you, is directly tied to those sources of that limestone water. Now, having said that, it's very important to realize, as you mentioned, that the better minerals that we can provide for them have to be more than salt. Salt blocks are, are the best I can say, just okay. Wouldn't you agree?
0: Yeah, what what happens a lot of times when people start talking about mineral sites and salt blocks, unfortunately over the years, a lot of people have put out a four or five dollar salt block uh, just basic white salt, um, that a horse or cattle would, would utilize and that's an attractant. It's not that it doesn't have functions to the overall health of the deer, but it's an attractant. It's a it's a good way for people to put something out and get to see deer visually from their kitchen window or possibly even, you know, set up in front of a game camera. But when we start talking about truly mineral licks, uh, mineral blocks, or some type of additive, what we're trying to do is no different than what an athlete does, uh, and that is we're trying to make sure that both the male and the female have got all the nutrients and have a balanced aspect of what's going on in their ruminatory needs and their bodily functions so that they can put that energy and those nutrients and, and whatever they're taking in as far as the resource on their forages and browse so that they can concentrate on good lactation and good antler development. And that's, that's the biggest difference that, that people will see between those who are managing their land with mineral sites versus a salt block, it, It's a matter of nutrition versus an attractive.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Scott, we also talked about somewhat odd occurrence. There appears to be a significant, not a large, but a significant number of those that dropped their farms very late by late. I mean, recently in the last two weeks, Uh, and additionally, you've seen evidence of some pregnant does on your trail camera sites. I'd like you to speak to that because it's
0: pretty startling, actually. Yeah, over the last two or three weeks uh, with the utilization of cell cameras, you know, and checking other trail cameras that are out and about, there's several fawns that were born extremely early, in my opinion. Uh, It's very evident that, And there, it's not just by a couple pounds. I'm talking about leaps and bounds difference in the frame size and some of these fawns, uh, that are in similar picture frames and even getting out and, and seeing them in the field, glassing them. But we've got, um, does right now that are still packing, uh, you know, internally a fawn. They have not gone through the aspect of fawning yet. And, to your point uh you know when we start looking with a trail camera we've got to realize that that's such a small targeted and concentrated area that we're getting data from but a lot of these does that are on uh, perennial clover food plots and a lot of these beans that are already up and growing soybeans a lot of these does are coming into the picture frame and you can tell that they've still not had their offspring yet, just by how rounded they are in the spring and the rib going back, you know, through the midsection of their body. And then a lot of these deer, you know, within two or three days, you're not seeing them on camera. And and then next thing you know, there's a a young fawn around them. So we have, uh, you know, we've gotten confirmation of this in our agriculture community. A lot of farmers are, are, uh, unfortunately, uh you know having fatalities still in the hayfield with young offspring um, it, it's just without a doubt we have had a very strange uh fawning season fawn drop this year but it mirrors exactly what we were talking about in october november and december when it come to our deer hunting i mean we we've seen road activity from October to December, uh, which is, is kind of typical, but it was just how sporadic and up and down of a roller coaster ride it was and the bucks breeding the does and, and, and being locked down with the does. And we're, we're seeing the, the signs of what we were seeing in the field now with how the fawns have dropped this spring.
2: Well, there's a, there's a phrase that uh, Harold Knight David Hale coined or, or started to use back many, many years ago, and they referred to it as a trickle rut. And what that meant was the rut would start, abate, start again, abate, start again. And this is what we saw last fall. So it's not a, as, as you pointed out, a big surprise that we're at that juncture, but it's very, very evident that that was the case just pretty much overall. I mean, everybody will remember, hunters were reporting bucks chasing does way up into December, and in some cases even January. So it's just been a, it's been a weird year, that's all. I mean, it, you know, and you go across the board, it's been weird on, on deer, it's been weird on turkeys, and it's been weird on the fish as well. Coming back from break here on the news. We'll be talking more about some of the oddities, particularly what we're seeing with the turkey flock and uh, what's going on with the turkeys, because there's some some real good news there, and there's some other oddities that may not turn out to be so good. So we'll we'll discuss all that after we take this news break here. The news is presented by SMI Marine are located at 11400 Westport Road, just north of the Gene Snyder. Go see them. They'll take great care of you. Tell Tim Eddington, I sent you there. Tell him hello. Remember, you never get soaked by my friends at SMI. And we're back on Jim Strader Outdoors. And uh, Scott there, before the break, we were talking about the aberrations in the fawn drop. And one of the things that we mentioned earlier in the broadcast that I want to reiterate, Scott, we were normally talking about uh, mowing food plots and or prepping for fall plots at this time of year. But with all these aberrations going on with the deer and the turkeys, which we'll talk a bit about the turkeys here in a minute, uh, it's best that people put that off for right now. There were too many reports from farmers and and folks that do uh, mowing on their plots at this time of year. They're encountering lots of young fawns in the fields. Unfortunately, some of them have succumbed to the mowing machines. And the same uh, true of turkeys. Uh, I've got a bunch of reports of turkeys still on the nest, which is very, very late. But we had a tumultuous spring. We had reports one after the other of hens in the normal nesting period traveling together that were not nesting. And now we're seeing lots of hens with no poults. Flip side is we're seeing hens with lots of poults, singular hens is what I mean, as opposed to small groups of hens or hens that don't have any. So it's, it's scrambled eggs here. And that's the reason we're, you know, telling folks tonight: hold off on your mowing, hold off on, on uh, positioning your fields for the fall planting. Because we'll we'll cover that later. It's just not judicious to do that right now. And there is a benefit to that, incidentally, and that is that in the case of clover, in particular, clovers have made their head; they're in seed. And by delaying the mowing process, when you do mow, you will be distributing seed and doing a great job of setting that field up for future plant development. So it's, you know, it's a,
0: it's a balance
2: and it's a delicate balance
0: no because how odd this year is. No doubt. It's a great time of year for people to understand that there's more than one practice, too. If, if folks see that, Maybe they've got some ragweed or something that's coming on into their their food plots. It you know they can go out there. They can soak a rag and and uh, the proper herbicide and use the proper PPE and go out there and basically apply you know the herbicide to some of the the taller plants, the non-desirable species, which we just call weeds, and and uh, try to hold back a little bit because. You know, hitting on that turkey note for just a minute. There's more hen turkeys being seen without poaches than pots and that, and I'm and I'm going to stand my ground. This is going from west to east and north and south through Kentucky, Tennessee, and Indiana. But what we do have to look at on the very positive high note is there's a lot of hen groups, uh, single hens, even that are having really high poke numbers. So there's no doubt those eggs that made it through the nesting and and these poult's actually got the hatch and, and the hens have a brew, there's no doubt that we've got really good numbers for those hens that had a success, successful hatch. Uh, what a lot of us are scratching our head on is why are there so many hens out here that have no poult's. And we talked about, prior to the weather throwing us off course a little bit, a lot of the poults that we're seeing right now are anywhere from that, you know, four and a half to six and a half inch height, They you know, and I'm talking about I'm not talking just their legs, it, they're just, they're, they're small, they're tiny, they're hard to see, um, they can get in cover pretty quick and hide, it's not uncommon for the hen to kind of stray off these, these little poults and you not see them, but... Um, we have uh, we have hens that are that are setting on a nest right now. Now it's not the majority, uh, but it goes back to talking with our friends in the agriculture community. There's hens that have either nested late or attempted to re-nest, uh, and even having reports uh, from friends of mine, and then I'm and I'm talking good friends that are in wildlife management backgrounds and and biologists. Uh, on both the public and private sector, this—I mean and you talk, Utah, there's there's still some reports of some birds gobbling and some birds that are out there actually courting some hens, which is really strange and weird. Uh, and it's just not Kentucky. I, I've got a really good friend of mine that was out on a hog hunt in Texas this past week, and and actually caught up a gobbler and uh, that that was gobbling. And and yes, turkeys gobble year-round, but it. It is pretty uncommon to to hear some of these reports of of how late some of these hens are setting right now. Well, to the point of the gobbling activity, generally
2: speaking, when you get to this time of year, the gobbling you'll hear will be right at sunrise. Mm -hmm. However, the folks that I'm talking to, and I'm encountering this myself in the field or while I'm fishing, There's birds gobbling at various times of the day, and they're on the move. And what that means is they're still eager to breed. And that's driven by, no doubt, some of these hens that had nests destroyed earlier that have have become receptive, which, of course, serves to fire the gobblers up again. So maybe, just maybe, we'll have enough late-season recruitment that it'll add to these numbers of, of poults that, that were and are being raised by the hens right now. And that's that's my hope because with the number of hens that are traveling in these groups that have zero poults, that's a big concern. And of course, the hens that have those poults and the big numbers of poults that some of these individual hens are nurturing right now, there's going to be a lot of mortality on those young ones people don't realize the reason turkeys lay so many eggs, you know, 12 to 18 eggs, sometimes even more, is because there's a high mortality. You know, that was God's plan when he developed those magnificent birds. And that's part of the deal. So (laughs) I can't help but use an ironic statement. It's scrambled eggs. We don't know what this is going to portend. All we know is, it's very very peculiar
0: uh the way things have set up this year no doubt and and one of the things that that's been quite surprising and alarming and we'll report on it later on once we we have true facts and and not just assume but speaking to those folks it's it's amazing how many fawns were present a, a few weeks ago regularly with their mothers that uh that now in in these same areas it, and it's not just those fawns that are in a safe keeping area i believe we've had a an above average loss with fawn uh mortality this year with coyotes and, than ever before and and i'm speaking on this on behalf of of research and data not just as a deer hunter and and a man that's involved with agriculture uh i i've I've got a bad feeling in my gut that, that our coyotes are, are putting more impact on our farms and and our turkeys than folks ever assume. Because, Jim, most of these reports and most of this data that people give us from a lot of these state associations and and DNR programs, a lot of their data comes from the 70s. It doesn't come from modern times. And there's just so many aspects on the landscape, from the data that we're getting with owls and and avian predators on on turkey pokes and how aggressive they are on them and what we're finding out and how much more advanced coyotes are in their hunting and and what they're doing to to the game on the landscape. Uh, I, I hope to tell you in a few weeks that that the data that's coming in is is not true, but I'm I'm telling you, but I'm afraid that that we're seeing as much mortality on our on our fawns right now as as we have seen in the past with our, our little turkey pokes.
2: Well unfortunately there's the other apex predator on turkeys and fawns that's on the landscape and it's in an explosive situation across a large part of our listing area and that's the bobcats. And bobcats are a real problem. Let, i tell you what, let's go to break and we'll talk about Bobcats and what the data shows about them and talk about some of the ways that they are impacting and, and how they've spread in, a, in an explosion, really, in, in many parts of the listing area. We're going to go to break. We'll be back right after this. The break is presented by Bossy Oak Properties, Heart Realty. Paul Thomas is a the broker there. They've been helping folks find farms, wildlife properties, lakefront homes, and all kinds of outdoor venues for more than 30 years. Check them out. They got a nice bunch of listings right now at M O P H A R T Realty.com. And we're back on Demonstrator Outdoors. Before the break, we were mentioning bobcats and the explosion of bobcats across the region and the impact they're having on turkeys. And this is throughout the year. This is, we're not just talking about nest time here. We're talking about a predator that can take them off the roost at night. Yes, folks, bobcats do climb and they do take turkeys off the limb. They'll ride them to the ground and they'll eat them. And the evidence of that with a bobcat kill is they won't eat the bones the way a coyote would, for example. That's one of the key things that can tell you the difference uh, on, on a turkey that's been preyed upon. Um, the other thing that, that comes into play here, and Scott, we've we banged it, we've banged it, but I'm going to keep on this refrain. It is so important for us to concentrate on trapping the coons during the appropriate seasons. These critters are so hard on turkey nests, it's almost, you can't over describe it really. It's, it's, it's rough. It's really, really rough. And it's, it's something that, again, I'm going to pound on because anybody that's got trail cameras out quickly realizes how many daggone coons are on the landscape. And these jokers travel much greater differences than most people realize, so it's important to control them, but you had a study that you wanted to share or talk about, here, Scott, on
0: turkeys? Yeah, well, I'm, I'll, I'll let a little bit out of the bag. I don't want to let let it all out, but, but basically um, <clears throat> there's there's two studies I want to talk about. One is an ongoing study about the the impact, and this is not just for Kentucky, this is spanning several states, but it's about how avian species, owls, hawks, um, those types of predators are, are having an effect on on young turkey poults. And it is amazing the the information that is coming in on that. And I don't think people are going to like just how powerful uh, those avian species are on the on the on the little turkey poach. but uh, there's also uh, we've we've had some individuals on with turkeys for tomorrow in the past, but folks that are truly passionate about the wild turkey and and trying to to look out and to not only the the well being of the future with sustainability of it, but just what your your role has been in the last year how many states you've hunted, what are you seeing as far as turkeys uh, in any state. This can be for any of our listeners. Turkeys for Tomorrow uh, just released uh, their 2023 survey, and it's the spring 2023 Turkeys for Tomorrow survey, Jim, and what that's allowing turkey hunters to do is to, to look at where they hunted, what changes they've seen on either private or public land, uh, they're trying to look at the aspect of the experience level of the turkey hunter, and then moving forward, how engaged turkey hunters are in wanting to have a voice in when their season opens, closes, or the responsibilities, uh, even if it comes to having some type of bounty uh, with predator control. So uh, two thumbs up to the folks over at Turkeys for Tomorrow and and throw out a a pat on the back to my buddy Jason Lapartis over there for for getting that uh, out and shared and, and uh, getting it across in front of us that, that are passionate and care about the turkeys. So.
2: Absolutely. And another aspect that we want to mention here, we've only got about a minute, a little more than a minute and a half uh, remaining. And, Scott, we touched on it, and I'm probably going to do it. We are probably going to do a full show about it and that's uh, summertime coyote hunting. It's uh, at the right time of year to help uh, damage control, if you will, on these fawns and on the turkey poults, and and it's it's a great sport, and this is a time of year when you can have a pretty significant impact on your specific property
0: by doing some predator control at this time of year. It is, and it's an excellent... Opportunity to capitalize on this strange spawning aspect of of what we've got going on too, because folks need to remember right now uh, that there's a lot of lot of cows out on the landscape looking for a fresh drop cow, so or a fresh drop fawn
1: Well,
2: and, and that's even greater threat because those female cows have to feed those pups. What does that mean? increased consumption of wildlife. And that's one of the ugly aspects that we need to take care of. So we'll uh, talk about that and more on the next programming around the corner. Again, folks, thank you for listening. Uh hope that our weather bulletins kept you safe. That's one of our paramount things that we care about here at WHS Radio. And enjoy being with you tonight even though it was a short broadcast. God bless everybody.